0: This is the Raising Freethinkers podcast. I'm Dale McGowan, editor and co-author of Raising Freethinkers and Parenting Beyond Belief, books for raising compassionate, curious kids without religion. Episode 18, The Conflict Avoiders. This is the last in our three-part series, When Science Goes South. I gave myself an hour to calm down, and then I wrote an email to the principal, still careful with my word choice. For one thing, I said I was surprised and disappointed that this had happened. Why surprised and disappointed? Because I do not want to waste a milligram of effort defending my tone. Disappointed is a good word for these situations. If you're furious, the other person stops listening and starts defending. Disappointment says, I expected more from you, and you let me down. When someone expresses disappointment in me, I am mortified, and I immediately begin trying to make it right. It's an action word. I also amended my desire to see Warner slowly strangled with the strings of a thousand Steinways. Amended it in the email, that is, not in the darkest corner of my heart. I made it clear that I was really unhappy, and asked to meet with them both really soon. And as I expected, Mr. Robinson was completely shocked and mortified when he heard what had happened. He had not spoken to Warner after our meeting, he said in his reply, because, quote, I assumed that I would be the only staff member discussing the broadcast content with Delaney. It was a reasonable assumption. Instead, he had used my input to be sure that his interview questions gave Delaney the maximum ability to openly express her ideas. And they did. He just hadn't counted on Warner taking advantage of the two minutes that he stepped into the hallway to push her agenda. There was still only one real perp in this, and one clear ally— No matter how the meeting went, I knew this would make a serious mark on her next performance evaluation. Of course, I wanted a whole lot more than that. We wanted an abject apology from Ms. Warner. We wanted a school wide statement explaining what happened and describing the real nature of Lainey's accomplishment. We wanted Warner's head on a platter. We wanted damage control for Delaney. And we wanted a greatly reduced chance of this kind of thing ever happening to another student in the school. But wants are not the same as needs. And that's where we sometimes go off the rails. Focusing too much on punishment of the perp shifts attention away from getting changes made and repairing damage. That's a mistake I have made in the past. It can also put your child in the middle of a struggle between adults in which the original point is completely lost. I didn't want that to happen. Those first three wants, especially Warner's head on a platter, would be so satisfying. But we knew we couldn't allow them to get in the way of the last two. Damage control for Delaney. Delaney and a greatly reduced chance of this happening to another student in the school. It was going to be a challenge to keep our heads where they belonged, especially when we had such a firm idea of where hers belonged. Now, I have to take a minute to acknowledge some privilege here. I'm telling a story in which my daughter received a negative message about science from her school. When I think about kids living with abuse and poverty and a lack of access to basic education and health care, I'm tempted to keep my little story to myself. But even though that contrast is sobering, this incident went to something fundamental in the values of our family. For all the progress in recent years, our culture still makes it difficult for girls in particular to hang on to an interest in science. And if you've read or listened to anything else I've done, you probably know that evolution in particular is a golden thread in my kids' engagement with the world. There are so many things that we let go, so many things that we don't make a big deal about. And even beyond this one budding scientist, science illiteracy does real harm in the real world to real people. You could even argue it's killing the planet right now. And seeing it rear its head in a school just does something to me. It mattered to us and to her. The day before the meeting with the principal and Ms. Warner, Becca made my year by insisting on going with me. She took a half day off work on short notice and with difficulty. It's hard for an elementary teacher to just step out like that. I was so grateful for it. After talking with hundreds of parents over the years in dozens of different situations, I had worked up a few guidelines for approaching schools in this kind of thing. It works not just for church-state issues, but any similar conflict. So I reviewed my own guidelines before the meeting. Number one, know your objective and keep it in focus. It would have been really easy and gratifying to focus on the apology, the school-wide statement, the head on a platter. But if it came right down to it, and it often does, the other two were more important. Damage control for Delaney and a greatly reduced chance of this kind of thing happening to another student in the school ever. Number two, frame it in terms as broad as possible. It's almost never just about my child or our family's rights. If a teacher leads students in a Christian prayer, for example, and I respond as an offended atheist, I have drawn this tiny little circle around my offended little feet if instead I defend the constitutional right of all kids and all families to freedom of religious belief. I've drawn a much larger circle with a much firmer foundation and a lot more allies. Number three, never let your tone become an issue. It's just too easy an excuse for them. This keeps a laser-like focus on the real issue. Number four, Find allies with common goals. They're almost always there. If we treat them as co-perpetrators, we've robbed ourselves of powerful leverage from inside the tent. And number five, position yourself as a future resource, not a problem to be avoided or contained. When it comes to the issues at hand, as well as district policy and legal precedent, make yourself the most knowledgeable one in the room. Somebody they would actually want to come to and offer your help in navigating that maze whenever these things come up. So the meeting started with the obligatory small talk. And then Becca took the floor, not as a parent, but as an appalled educator. For five minutes, in a voice laced with emotion but entirely under control, She explained why Warner's action violated the central responsibility of educators to their students. And she ended by quoting the framing concept in the district's elementary curriculum. They are the habits of mind, four characteristics that all Georgia educators are expected to engender in their students. A content standard is not met says the Science Standards Document in BOLD CAPS, unless applicable characteristics of science are also addressed at the same time. The four principal characteristics. Students will be aware of the importance of curiosity, honesty, openness, and skepticism in science, and will exhibit these traits in their own efforts to understand how the world works. That's a really good sentence. But in her single ill-considered sentence, Ms. Warner had managed to violate all four principles, curiosity, honesty, openness, and skepticism. And then Becca read this further down in the document. Scientists use a common language with precise definitions of terms to make it easier to communicate their observations to each other. It's hard to beat that for spot-on relevance. I made a mental note to Mary Becca all over again. Now just a side note. This is a thing you want to do. When something happens in the school that you're not comfortable with, go to the District Policies online and you will find language to support you. I can virtually guarantee it. Ms. Warner responded with an apology of the I'm sorry you were offended variety. If I had known you felt this way, she said, I would certainly not have said what I said. Oh, it was all about a wacky breakdown in communication, you see. If the principal hadn't dropped the ball, went the implication, if he had just made your concerns known, well, we wouldn't be in this pickle. I had expected that. Yes, I said, I do wish that we'd been able to intercept this extremely bad idea you had, but that's irrelevant. I want to know why you had the bad idea in the first place to censor my daughter's accomplishment. You claimed evolution wasn't in the curriculum when, in fact, it's deeply embedded in our curriculum from seventh grade on. And if a third grader were to master calculus and win a national contest, I doubt we'd say, well, shoot, I wish we could celebrate that, but it isn't in the elementary curriculum. So let's agree that that's silly and not the reason anyway. Now, I want to know the real reason you did what you did. And she paused and then shrugged. I just wanted to avoid conflict. Well, how'd that work out for you? I didn't say. I didn't have to. To paraphrase what Huxley said before he gutted Wilberforce, the Lord had delivered her into my hands. I handed her the summary of that depressing Penn State study I had given Robinson in our earlier meeting, the one showing that conflict avoiders, quote, play a far more important role in hindering scientific literacy in the U.S. than the smaller number of explicit creationists." But as it happens, there's an even more interesting context for this in Georgia, I said. A specific history of removing the word evolution. Yes, there is, said Mr. Robinson suddenly, nodding enthusiastically and leaning forward. See what I mean? Principals tend to know what's going on in the educational world outside of their own skulls. Even better, he clearly cared. Warner's blank smile showed that she neither knew nor cared. She was counting the minutes until this annoyance was over. Now, it was at this point in the meeting that Miss Warner began to shrink from view. And Mr. Robinson began to grow. We could exhaust ourselves trying to get a genuine apology from this person, trying to get her to understand that she was an embarrassment to her profession and why, trying to let the school community know exactly what had happened so they could take sides and put Laney in the uncomfortable middle. We could do all that. Or we could turn the focus toward this nodding, well-informed, well-placed ally So I gave a five-minute capsule history of this interesting issue in Georgia. Starting with the D grade that the state science curriculum had earned from Fordham in 1998. Why the low grade? Largely because, in the interest of conflict avoidance, the word evolution had been removed. Now this next bit is a direct quote from the Fordham study. Like most southern states, Georgia has problems with the politics, if not the science, of evolution. In the biology course, the euphemism, organic variation, is used for evolution, yielding such delectable bits as the following. The learner will describe historical and current theories of organic variation, describe how current geological evidence supports current theories of organic variation, and so on. The purpose of this approach, of course, is to insulate the study of science from the inroads of politics. But for all its good intent, it makes it difficult or impossible for all but the most gifted students to understand the profound importance of evolution as the basis of the biological sciences. It also isolates biology from the other historical sciences, geology, and astronomy, and thus wounds the students' understanding of the unity of the sciences." Fast forward to 2004. State Superintendent of Education Kathy Cox is reviewing Georgia's new and greatly improved proposed science standards, which include an impressively straightforward approach to evolution. And what does she do? She redlines every occurrence of the word evolution, changing it to biological changes over time, which does not mean the same thing. And why did she do that? Conflict avoidance, she said later. Conflict avoidance. Now, there was an impressive public backlash in Georgia at the time. Jimmy Carter lashed out in the press, quote, As a Christian, a trained engineer, and a scientist, and a professor at Emory University, I am embarrassed by Superintendent Kathy Cox's attempt to censor and distort the education of Georgia's students, unquote. Cox reversed herself, and in an interview on the occasion of her retirement, she remembered the issue as the biggest mistake of her career. Quote, it was a great lesson for me. The standards are more than a classroom teacher. They represent something to the larger public and the entity of the nation. And that was a great lesson for me, that I needed to step out of my shoes as a teacher sometimes and see the bigger picture. Even though I was trying to make it so that our science standards could be such that a teacher anywhere in the state could teach what they needed to teach, it wasn't the right decision from the bigger picture. And boy, did I learn that in a hurry, and kind of had it handed to me in a hurry, unquote. Robinson was nodding through my entire reading. None of this was new to him. Now, the standards at the time went on to full approval, unbuggered, earning Georgia a B for science overall in the next Fordham review, and the highest ranking possible for evolution education. So, we've learned this lesson over and over already, I said. But it just doesn't get through, and the messages we as parents and educators send to these students both inside and outside of the classroom affect the way kids will encounter concepts and content later in the curriculum. Mr. Robinson was continuing to show enthusiastic engagement, and Warner at this point was too small to be seen clearly. We have these extraordinary standards, but because of 10,000 things like this, I gestured toward Warner's last known location, they aren't finding their way into the actual education of our students, especially in science. I'd like to help get a larger conversation going in the district. We need to help parents and teachers and administrators get more comfortable with the great standards that we've already got. Mr. Robinson was nearly out of his chair. Yes, this is great. I would love to see that happen. He began scribbling notes. I want to put you in touch with Samantha Burnett, the director of science curriculum for the district. I know she'd love to connect with you and get this going. This would be a very positive thing. And then he added that he wanted to be sure Delaney had been taken care of as well. He said, I want her to know that this school encourages all of her ideas and accomplishments. Becca then shared Laney's heartbreaking response to Mr. Hamilton, her beloved first grade teacher, when he expressed interest. And she said, I don't know what I should tell him and what I shouldn't. Well, there's an opportunity, said Mr. Robinson. I'll get in touch with Mike and see what we can work out. Maybe instead of just explaining it to him, she could give a presentation to his whole class about the contest. Oh, man. Oh, man. I knew she would love that. And Laney did make a presentation to his class, and that went a long way to making things better. That night, we learned from Delaney that Mr. Robinson visited her classroom later that day to congratulate her again on her achievement in the Evolution and Art Contest. Yes. And two days after that, Mr. Robinson connected me to the Science Curriculum Director by email, as promised. Now, I'd love to say that we ran with it and changed the world, But nothing ever really came of it. It got lost in the shuffle of too many things to do. Probably as much my fault as anything, really. And I could kick myself in retrospect. But at least we took care of what we could. Now, in terms of vengeance, the meeting was mostly unsatisfying. But in terms of positive progress, it was immensely satisfying. By being reasonable and well-informed, by leaning forward instead of back, we accomplished the things that mattered most. Now here's the part of the movie right before the credits where we learn what happened to the major characters. Ms. Warner, not her real name, now works at a Catholic school in Atlanta, probably for the best. Mr. Robinson left the next year to serve as principal of an Atlanta public elementary school. And when he left, he sent me a brief email expressing his appreciation for how we'd approached the issue. "'I was in even fuller support of your position and concerns than I could let on at the time,' he said, which was nice. Oh, and by the way, Mr. Robinson is also not his real name. The perfect actual name of this intelligent and gentle administrator was Mr. Rogers.' Charlie's Playhouse, the company that sponsored the Evolution and Art contest, is sadly no more. But the company's founder, Dr. Kate Miller, is busy doing top-level science at a center for healthcare innovation. Becca now teaches English for speakers of other languages at a local elementary school. And Delaney weathered it all just fine. She's now a junior majoring in physics at Georgia Tech. The Raising Freethinkers podcast is a production of Only Sky Media, exploring the whole human experience from the secular perspective. Visit us online at onlysky.media. Thanks for listening. I'm Dale McGowan. See you next time for Raising Freethinkers.